0: Welcome to the Breaking into Startups podcast, where we feature stories of everyday people who came from non-traditional backgrounds and broke into tech. As many of you know by now, you don't have to be an engineer to break into a startup. There is plenty of demand for product, design, operations, and sales professionals. So on today's episode, we sit down with Gabe Moncayo, who hustled his way into becoming a sales executive and then launched his own school called Always Hired. On this episode, we discuss the approach that Always Hired takes to teach students about tech sales, how to navigate the job market, and how to tell your story, because you literally have to sell your story to professionals who are doing sales for a living. And we also talk about what Always Hired does to achieve a 90% placement rate for their graduates. If you live in the Bay Area on August 23rd, Always Hired is hosting a panel at Kapor Capital on building diverse and inclusive tech sales teams. So if you are someone who is looking to hire or you're looking to break into sales or maybe just want to meet Gabe in person, if you are, definitely check out this event. And finally, as you may have heard, we put together a resources page on our website where we curate a list of schools for folks who want to break into software engineering, product design, and sales roles. If you go to breakingtostartups.com forward slash resources, you can see the full list and also get discounts when you apply using those links. I hope you enjoyed this episode and let's break in.
1: Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timo Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today?
0: Yeah, so today it's 9 p.m. on a Thursday. Warriors actually just wrapped up game three. Go Dubs. Shout out. And uh, <laughs> we have a very special guest. Ruben, can you please introduce our guest?
1: Yeah, we're here with Gabe Moncayo, who is not only the founder of Always Hired, which is a boot camp that's focused on training sales development representatives. But he's also a Bay Area native who grew up with a South American background. And he's going to talk a little bit more about the unique history about that as well. Who never went to college, but started a career in political fundraising, was a rock star for a long time, did lead generation, worked at several startups, and was so passionate about the skill that he wanted to focus on teaching other people from non traditional backgrounds. You know how to break into tech as well. So Gabe, thank you for joining us tonight, especially during a game and your partner's in the other room studying as well. It's late night. Can you tell us a little bit about like how you became a salesperson and what's the first thing that you, you sold yeah. outside of politics?
2: Yeah, sure. So <laughs> how I became a salesperson, happy to answer that. I would say it started with my family and my upbringing. My parents divorced at a very early age and that quickly taught me how to uh, interact with different groups to accomplish my own agenda. So I think that kind of creativity was there really early. And then I also was into sports at a very early age. So as a 6th grader, I was actually a basketball coach for 2nd graders okay. in my local community here. And through sports I just learned a couple things. One, I loved being a captain. I loved being a leader. I loved calling the plays on the field and and having that vision. And two, I realized that it doesn't matter how well the captain plays if the team doesn't win. And the combination of that and just learning how to deal with my parents, who, by the way, are also both PhD psychologists. Wow. Um, yeah. So divorced <laughs> PhD psychologists. <And laughs> that's what helped me become a good salesperson and a business person from a youth
1: upbringing standpoint. Interesting. My parents are psychologists as well. And, oh, nice. and by the way, like for the people that are listening, uh, when he says he he played sports, he wasn't just playing any type of sports. You said you played Marshawn Lynch as well. Is that accurate? Yeah. So I went to Albany High School. Marshawn Lynch went to
2: Oakland Tech. Okay. And one of the games we played that season was against, you know, we called them the Marshawn <laughs> Lynches <laughs> because it was literally seven plays to him in a row, all for touchdowns. Wow. And then they just sat him the rest of the game. Uh, but it was a lot of fun to watch. That's a <laughs> wow. I mean, we're
1: going to watch him as a Raider this that's year. That's exciting too. Yeah, going to be very exciting. It's going to be pretty cool. cool. so, um, you know, you grew up in this environment. You you know then got into politics. How did you get into that?
2: Yeah, so my grandfather, my mother's side, was a political consultant, political advisor. Uh They actually immigrated to Argentina from Poland and and Russia originally. So that's Mm -hmm. how we got there. And it was always just super interesting to me, just the the sociological implications of politics. And I just got an opportunity to where where someone was like, hey, we need someone to help us with fundraising, and you know you're pretty outgoing and like personable you Want to come do this? Yeah,
0: yeah. that's right. And so, you guys are what you guys speak. So, Russian, Arthur right? and I, uh, we're actually from the same uh, background, we were born in Ukraine. Ah, uh, nice, so yeah, so we got that in common. So, it's pan-mei funny, parusky? uh, <laughs> dog uh,
1: paname <laughs> wow.
0: yeah, So, you speak think, Russian and Spanish.
2: I got a, I got a reason Hebrew. for why Russian, but like that's all I know in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> two it's, sentences. sounded
1: really good to
0: nice, me. Thanks, <laughs> Yeah, it's a
2: salesman in there. <laughs>
0: I think this is actually the first time uh, we had uh, some Russian on the podcast. Yeah. And we didn't
1: know that there were South American Jews. And I know we're digressing a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit more about what you shared in the pre-chat about South American Jews and like your discoveries about How they
0: got there. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sure.
2: Happy to go into it. So I'm a South American Jew, which I've come to learn is, is rare. And we were talking about, you know, there's actually a lot of Jews in South America and specifically in Argentina, which is where my mother's from. It's Argentina and Chile is my background. So after World War II, the UN got together and Britain owned the land of Palestine. Okay. And for better or for worse, not commenting on that, Britain said, "Hey, Palestine, you know, we made a deal with the UN and the Jews are going to get their own state now." And we decided to make that what Palestine is. And what was interesting about Argentina and the Jewish community there is that there was such a big community in World War II where everyone was leaving to go to Argentina that Israel wasn't where Palestine is or was today. It would actually
1: be in Argentina. Interesting. That's very, yeah, interesting. very interesting. Yeah. So for those of you that didn't know about that, now you know. And so <laughs> now, you know, you, you got into politics from your grandfather, this political consulting thing, like, what, you know, did that look like? Were you, like, knocking door to door, like, doing grassroots fundraising? Or how yeah. did that work?
2: Yeah, so, like, the SDR team was doing, like, grassroots, door-to-door. So basically how it would work is people would go door-to-door, they would commit to giving money and becoming a member. And then after a year, you'd have to renew your membership. And that triggered the phone sales team calling. And then depending on how much you renewed your membership, you would either go to the enterprise team or the mid-market team, basically, and they would try to get you to give $500 a month or $50 a month, depending on how much you had given before.
1: Got it. So So this wasn't for campaigns. It was not for specific campaigns. It was all for specific legislation. Got it. Got it. And so this was like in the nonprofit world. Correct. Got it. Got it. And, so, and
0: uh, I actually have a question. So sure. you mentioned that you were 18 or 19 yeah. when you yeah. started this. So you skipped college, right. even though both of your parents have PhDs. Yeah. And at that <laughs> point in time, what made you <laughs> just go into it directly versus following the traditional path?
2: Yeah, a lot of guts and rebellion. I think at an early age, I had a very clear vision. You know, I I had no idea I'd be on this path. If you would have asked me five years ago what my path was, I would have said a VP of sales for sure at some like corporate cushy job. And maybe I should have done that, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I had a very clear vision when I was younger. And that was that a lot of the pathways that society has put in place are broken. That was very clear. And I think it was also because I was from a melting pot. Like Albany Berkeley is about as hippie melting pot as you get. (laughs) I mean, it really is. Mm And I think I just realized at an early age that things were kind of broken. And even growing up and learning from my mother, my mother had to retake some of her school when she got here because not everything is credited. And, you know, I saw my mother become a citizen of the United States. And I just saw all these like weird loopholes or like weird checks that people had to hit to get something when clearly they were already ready. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, I think I just had this vision from an early age that, you know, I was just going to have an impact in, in business and, and hear this nonprofit thing came in my lap and I was like, okay, maybe this is, you know, the universe. Tell yeah.
1: Me. We haven't talked about this yet, but for the people that don't know what is an SDR, what's a sales development representative?
2: Yeah. An SDR is a sales development representative, which essentially is an appointment setter.
1: Okay.
2: So they are developing sales for an account executive who's closing it. So they're just sending up appointments. Their sale is time. Their Got job it. is to convince a human being to give up time.
0: Got it. Got it. And what does that involve for them? So they're not just a coordinator, right? So are they reaching out to people proactively and putting these appointments on their calendars or how does that work?
2: That's a great point. Yeah, definitely not coordinators. That's like an order taker. You know, when you go to the doctor, what time do you want to go to Mm -hmm. the doctor? It's like, imagine you don't have a dentist and the dentist calls you and the dentist is like, hey, you should be here tomorrow. And you're like, first off, I hate the dentist. Second off, I don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> Third yeah. off, maybe if my insurance covers it, I'll talk. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's all outreach going up to strangers and figuring out how to talk to them and get them to listen to you. Yeah. And then once you do that, you can push your agenda. Right. But, uh, it's just getting this connection. Yeah. So
0: kind of describe to our audience a little bit of the context of NSDR, like how the org structure works. So you mentioned that they set up appointments for other people. So are they usually attached to like, is it like a one-on-one relationship? Like every account manager has an SDR or do they just book appointments and then, like, I don't know, the account managers decide who wants to take those slots and like, how does the org work overall?
2: Yeah, it'll depend per company, but there's a couple standard best practices. So one way is you're an account executive, you'll have two SDRs. We Mm -hmm. essentially just work for you. Our mm-hmm. job is to fill your calendar. That's one model that's in place. Another model that's in place is if we're SDRs, you're also still incentivized to hunt a little bit because whoever has the most sales, you'll get the most appointments that we set. Mm-hmm. So the appointments we set just go into a pool and then that pool feeds the top performers. Got so it. those are typically the two ways that appointment setters are feeding closers.
1: What's mm-hmm. the relationship between the SDR and marketing?
2: Yeah. So a really good relationship between SDR and marketing is is fluid and transparent and specifically highlights close rates. Mm-hmm. Because when you can help marketing with their close rates, marketing will make more money without spending more money. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing for the company. What yeah. does that mean? For people that don't know what's a close rate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is my own training. I'm like, when you explain something, you have to make sure you explain it like to <laughs> someone who doesn't know. So thanks for, for slowing me down. So what was the question again? Close so, rates. Oh, so, close so, rates. What are yeah. close yeah. rates? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So essentially, if someone, let's say a a startup raises a million Mm dollars, right? They're going to spend that money on advertising or some of it. Mm -hmm. So you might see a billboard if you're in the Bay Area. There's still billboard, shocking, right? Mm -hmm. You might see an ad on Google. You might see see a newspaper. You might see a radio. Anyways, there's going to be a different likelihood of success depending on where people come from. So Mm -hmm. like as an example, typically when someone finds you on Google, the likelihood of them buying from you is pretty high. Typically, when someone hears from you on a radio station ad and calls in, they have to think about it more. So there's less likelihood that they buy. Mm-hmm. So a close rate is what percentage of people that are coming to you from a specific advertising channel mm-hmm. end up actually transacting with your company.
1: Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's helpful. Cool. And so-
0: It makes sense to basically kind of which channel works the best. The SDR is kind of like a feedback mechanism that mm-hmm. feeds into marketing mm-hmm. to let them know these are the best clients or these are the easiest ones to close. And then you try to acquire them at a cheaper cost yeah. versus yes. other channels. And yeah.
1: how, how did you go from the nonprofit to the for-profit sector?
2: Yeah. So there was a couple things. One, I was sitting down. I was uh, someone's manager, right? I mean, I was 18 and this person, I guess, was probably transitioning in their life. They were like in their in their 30s. And you were making good money at 18. Yeah, I was making 40 grand. I was driving, a, I think it was 2006. I was driving a 2004 Audi A4. Okay. I mean, I was top of the, I was top of the mountain I was having a ton of fun and, and someone you know told me in on my team they were like hey why are you doing this and I was like what do you mean and they're like you're so good you could be doing something else and making 3 4 times the money and I just remember that was my light bulb moment where I realized that this was going to be my career this was going to be my profession this was going to be how I built a legacy and supported my family mm. and that was the moment I knew I Was going to get out of nonprofit and into the private sector. Yeah.
0: At that point in time, it sounds like when you just even started, you already had some inherent skills that you've developed from your parents being divorced and you just growing up and hustling. Along the way, did you have any mentors or did you use any resources to improve your sales game? And if you did so, like how did you do that?
2: Yeah. So I feel really lucky to have had some really great sales. People, I mean, some sales leader, but really great salespeople that I've worked under. And I say salespeople because some of them were shady. Some of them were bad leaders. But one of the things that I feel like I was good at is I could take someone's strengths, copy it, but identify their weaknesses and leave it behind. Yep. And one of the best things someone did for our sales organization, one of my first sales jobs, I've sold data a few times. I know we talked about leads. This was actually a different lead company in mm-hmm. Walnut Creek. But essentially, every week, a salesperson would have to take a tape recorder and plug it into their phone that's how we used to record calls. Then mm-hmm. every yep. week, a salesperson would have to come to the meeting and play their recorded call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the salesperson would stop, the sales leader would stop the call every time something was incorrectly said and said, hey, how does it sound like this person just felt when you gave that answer? Yeah, What do you think you should have said? We talked yeah. about that, and say, okay, move on. And then they got us in the habit of taking home our tapes and listening to it. And that's really when call recording and and almost being an athlete again, looking at my game footage. It's like reviewing film. It's exactly like reviewing film really helped. So I have more examples like that if you'd like, but that's one very specific thing that a sales leader taught me that leveled me up very quickly.
1: For the people that don't know you, you mentioned leads and selling leads. Like what is a lead for?
2: Yeah. A lead essentially is a name and contact information. And it's the very first thing you need to attempt to make a sale, you know, John Smith or Jane Doe at X company. Here's their phone number. Go try to sell them.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. And so you decided to go into the for-profit sector. You started selling leads to companies in their various industries. What made you, You know, how did you make the transition from selling leads to actually working um, as a salesperson at a tech company?
2: Yeah. So I was working at CalFinder, which got uh, rebranded and acquired. They're now modernized, based out of Austin, Texas. They used to be based in Oakland. And I was an account executive there. And this is kind of funny. They asked me. So when everyone started our first day there, they said, "Hey, who are you, and where do you want to be in a year?" And I said my name. And I said this because the boss said that, right? And I said, "My name is Gabe, and I want your job in a year, and I want to be asking that question." <laughs> <laughs> she went, had some chutzpah. Yeah, some yeah. chutzpah <laughs> for sure, right? And everyone uh, and everyone uh, just like laughed and like you know, like okay, right? <laughs> and but I I worked my butt off, and and the startup the company had some changes. Mm-hmm. And with those changes, there was an opening. And with my work ethic, I actually, I used to volunteer to come in early because I was a top performer. Mm-hmm. And I would do a free hour. I mean, a free hour. I, mean, I just volunteered to come in an hour early to do training for anyone that wanted. Mm-hmm. And the company saw that. And eventually, they were just like, why don't you just try being the sales leader? Mm-hmm. So I got promoted to sales manager in Oakland. And that's when tech started kind of kicking up maybe five years ago here when it's, it really started picking up. And people started hitting me up on LinkedIn. So basically a VP of sales hit me up on LinkedIn. So I was a manager at a pretty aggressive sale, which meant there's probably a pretty good process there. Mm-hmm. And he just poached me. Mm-hmm. And he poached me to be a sales manager. Oh, And it's the first time I got brought in in a management role. Interesting. And that's how I started really taking off in my career. What's
1: the difference between an uh, uh, individual contributor in and sales and, uh, and a manager of a sales team?
2: Yeah, like, well, literally it's managing one quota or managing 7 mm-hmm. I'm guessing also like just in terms of the job responsibilities and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. The biggest thing is the amount of multitasking. Mm -hmm. I remember my VP used to light me up because I would do one thing at a time. Like I'd be responding to an email and he'd be like, hey, isn't your rep closing over there? And I was like, yeah, but this other rep said they needed help with an email. And he was like, well, do both. And we used to have these headsets on where we could listen to anyone's call Mm -hmm. and then we could even coach in on the call. So I'd be sitting at my desk cranking out like replies to emails while all of a sudden I'm like, hey, hey, ask this question, ask this question, like literally
0: like- So this reminds crazy. me like a scene from Wolf of Wall Street where they're just like <laughs> sitting behind desks yelling. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, literally. So it's, it's, the biggest thing would be multitasking. Yeah. You go from having to be really good at your funnel yep. to be really good at managing your team's funnel, yep. which is really just managing seven funnels. Yep. right. So do you just,
0: still get on the phones uh, and close for them? Or at that point, you're just managing the seven people under you?
2: You could get on the phone and close for them, but that's rare because they don't really learn anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: So you really need to have the, you really must be desperate for the deal. So the only time I would do that is if it's like, you're about to get fired for not hitting quota. yeah. And like, you need this deal. yeah. Then I'll get on the phone and close. And you yeah. said a
1: few things just now you said funnel and quota. So for the people yeah. that don't know, it's funnel and quota.
2: Yeah. A funnel is like a panning for gold. You put a lot of dirt in your pan, mm-hmm. shake it around, do it the right way. You get some gold. Mm-hmm. So basically an example would be, you put a hundred names that you want to call. Mm-hmm. You can assume 30 of those names, pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. You can assume 10 of those names want a conversation you can assume two of those names are going to buy. Yep. And that's a funnel, that entire process mm-hmm. of having a lot at the top and a little of a specific thing at the bottom.
1: Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. Cool, cool. And then the quota is
2: a quota is just a, a numerical target that you and your company agree to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so an example would be like, you have to generate 15 appointments yep. this month. So it's a, it's a number you agreed to hit.
1: Got it. So, okay. And so, you know, you have all this experience in these tech companies and you decide to start teaching. And so, sure. You know, a lot of people are starting these programs and there's all kinds of approaches that you could have taken. You know, what's the structure that you decided to go with that you've been finding success with and kind of like, how do you break it down?
2: Yeah, sure. So the structure, it's a three-week program and it's a program where the students pay us. We're driven by student tuition and happy to go into more detail. So maybe should I, should I talk about the Outline of the program first, and then we can dive mm-hmm. into pricing. I, mean, yeah. I think since, or, since
1: you did bring up pricing, I do think it might be like just good yeah. to talk about yeah, like do that first. Just yeah, that so is you do it's have a you, pretty
0: uh, yeah. like unusual pricing yeah. structure too.
1: Yeah, that makes it like affordable for pretty much yeah. most people.
2: Yeah, totally. So it's an outcome based education is what is what this component is called, and it's three hundred dollars down, and then it's six percent of the base salary after someone gets a job. And they could put more down for less later mm-hmm. or less down and more later, but that's the basic component. And it's for
0: the first year, to be clear. Yeah, yeah. So it's just
2: not in perpetuity. <laughs> yeah. I, we'd be doing this remotely from Bali or something.
0: <laughs> so just to give uh, our listeners an idea, typically, what would you say is the average salary of one of your graduates? And then what would 6% of that be? So they have a, an idea of that.
2: Yeah, we just in the math. The average salary just got bumped up to right around forty nine thousand. So six percent of forty nine thousand is what they would pay us. And then typically there's twenty to thirty thousand in commission on top. But yeah. since commission isn't guaranteed, we don't charge on that.
1: Okay. And like for the people that are listing right now, too, like a SDR is an entry level role. And like typically, like it's preparation to you know bump to a closing level role because before you're setting up appointments, and you're not supposed to be an SDR for very long. Yeah. Amount of time. Yep. Right. Yeah, so. it's
2: it's considered an up or out roll. Yeah. Which means if you find an SDR that's been an SDR for many years, it it just means one thing.
1: They suck. Yeah. Straight up. Right. Mm-hmm. It's so it's a it, black and white situation.
2: Yeah, it's actually a it's a farm league. It's very similar to baseball mm-hmm. where you only go into single A double A to try to get to the majors, and that that is the game within the game. Yep. So that's the yeah. SDR
0: life. So how long would kind of what should people expect? Like a year or less, couple of months? How long do you think like Typically, SDRs last yeah. before they get a, a promoted to account managers.
2: Yeah, so the expectations we set for the program is 12 to 18 months, someone's going to need to be an SDR. We have plenty of data points of people who have done it in three months. Yeah. We have people who have done it in six months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to sell that just for expectations. But yeah. if someone can come okay. in mentally for 12 to 18 months they'll, and they you know do their job, they'll get promoted like for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, yeah. for sure.
0: Yeah. And in, in the pre-interview, you actually laid out, the process of how these three weeks are structured. And you take a very sales-based approach to how to train them so they can actually end up with a job afterwards, primarily because you guys don't make money unless someone actually gets a job. So can you share with our listeners the structure of the program and what you do to prepare your students?
2: Sure. Yeah. So the first week is business information, specifically on technology. What is a series A company? What is a series B company? What is venture funding? what it is raising money over debt or raising money over equity and basically the reason these little things are so important is because all of this is public information and the information actually tells you a lot about the person you're selling to because a series A startup not literally always but a series A startup has a very definitive plan for growth mm-hmm. like most series A startups fit into kind of a box of what they're doing yep. most series B or series C are starting to go nationwide mm-hmm. or adding new products or features so the first thing is just learning how to be a business person in tech and learning what the lingo means and And learning what TechCrunch is and CrunchBase (laughs) and all these websites and tools and stuff. So that's the first week is just kind of understanding how to walk the walk. So when you walk into a meeting, you're not blown away.
0: Yeah. And it's part of it, kind of identifying which companies you want to work for, but also kind of once you do join a startup, a lot of startups sell to other startups. So knowing, understanding what the different series means, it could potentially also like Force you to tweak your approach of how you set up these calls, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and not only that, but the pillars of having a business has changed in technology. And what I mean by that, when I think of the pillars, there's three things that create an industry. There's the money, there's mm-hmm. the people, and there's the products. Mm-hmm. What's different about tech is no one's playing with their own money. It's all OPM, other people's money. So that's one thing to understand. The dynamics have changed of the psychology like the things that stress out your buyer has changed. Now. Mm-hmm. The next thing is the, the products, software, and subscription and how subscription is changing the world. I don't know if people have seen, but Cadillac recently released a subscription offering for a car. And Subscription is going to be everything soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, the third thing is people. Who were the CEOs 20 or 30 years ago you're selling to and who are the CEOs now? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's completely different. So just understanding those basics is a foundation you need to enter this world.
1: Yeah, And so that's week one. That's week one. Yeah, that's week, exactly. <laughs> That's week good. two is
2: week two is sales training. So in sales training, we're doing a couple of different things. We are teaching people one: what are all the typical things salespeople do that tell someone they're talking to a salesperson? Mm-hmm. Because it's when I ask, you know, when you think you're talking to a salesperson, how do you react? I'm
1: not busy right now.
2: Yeah. It's just like instant <laughs> blow off. Yeah. You're instantly just going to tell me things to like I'm make intimated. sure. Leave me alone. Yeah. You just want to <laughs> make sure I don't like scam you. So you're going to put up all your defenses.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: So the first thing is to understand what are the things that people are saying or doing that trigger those subconscious actions. And a lot of what people don't understand is like people use the word available when they're making a call or they'll say follow up at the end of a sales call. Who else says follow up?
0: yeah salespeople
2: (laughs) right so it's like there are all these words and things that you do that tell the other person you're a salesperson so it's like
1: pickup lines like who uses pickup lines
2: yeah Yeah. right you just got to be like real yeah and like genuine and like kind of know what you're doing a little bit and even if you fail be honest with that and like that's okay yeah right so
0: and i think you bring up a good point because especially for the sdr roles you're literally selling yourself to a professional salesperson who probably already has several years, years of experience. So if you're also applying for a role of selling now the company's product to, to others, then they're evaluating you from all angles. And you really need to know your pitch down, right? Yep. So what do you do to prepare their pitch? Like, we On the podcast, we talk a lot about telling your story to your hiring manager. What do you tell your students on how to uh, formulate their pitch?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So like, You know, we have a formula for the elevator pitch, which is like a couple sentences on your background, a couple sentences on your first job, your most recent accomplishment, what you want to do next. So there's like that type of formulaic process. But from a higher level, it's really based on question-based selling. And what I mean by that is, you know, anytime a salesperson says something, the other person only believes 50% of what they say. Because, and if you think about it, most salespeople say, my product is affordable. Mm -hmm. My product works. Mm -hmm. But think about consumer mentality. If something really is good, then it's what? Expensive. And if something is cheap, then it's what?
0: Low quality. Yeah. So
2: how can you as a salesperson tell someone my product's affordable and it's great? Yeah. They already don't believe you. Yeah. So instead, it's more about asking questions to figure out what is your ideal scenario look like? Tell me what the person sitting across from you looks like that always gets the job. And then when you tell me that, I'll tell you everything about me, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to lead with all these assumptions yeah. because that's not going to get us anywhere. Yeah. So I don't know if that was too vague, but that's part of no, what we to no, no, I think there. it's
0: pretty spot on. What yeah. are some of the needs of, I guess, to turn the tables, what are some of the needs of hiring managers that are looking to hire SDRs?
2: Yeah. So a hiring manager really has a couple of different checkboxes that they go through. One checkbox, not the first one, but one checkbox they go through is culture. So that's mm-hmm. just like if you're cracking jokes, am I cracking jokes? Yeah. Like if you're talking slang, am I talking slang? Yeah. Am I just kind of being a mirror? That's one thing. The next thing will just be phone presence. Do I sound awkward and like, yeah. I'm not sure if this is, or I'm like, you know what? I might not know everything, but I'm still going to talk with confidence. Yeah. Right? So one, another thing is phone presence. Yep. And then the last thing would just be an understanding of the basics of the role. And that breaks down into two things. One is the metrics. Do you know how many cold calls you should be making? If you don't know how many cold calls you should be making, how are you going to have success in a cold calling job? You're going to get smacked in the face. And the second thing is the basics of like, what are the most common objections you get on a cold call? You're busy, not interested, and send me an email. If you know those three rebuttals or like kind of know them, those are your check boxes. So that's what a... Initial screen is is basically
0: looking. Is that for. something that a hiring manager would actually ask you? Like, they'll be like, hey, like let's do a 10 minute call. And on the phone call, part of the interview process, they'll actually say, so, like, if I'm busy right now, what's your rebuttal?
2: Yeah. So, any in person interview, I'd say 70, 80% of in person interviews have a mock call in them. So, role
0: playing.
1: Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And then if they're a little bit more creative, what they'll do on the phone screen is they'll just soft toss a basic objection. Mm-hmm.
1: Got it. Got it. I know that in the beginning, we talked a little bit about what a lead is. I know that um, some people like they talk a lot about, you know, qualified leads, right? So I know in a different podcast that we did, you know, they talked a little bit about the band structure and I'm not sure if you follow that same structure, but the budget authority need Mm -hmm. timing. Mm -hmm. Do you have a different structure that you follow to qualify a lead? And if you do, what is that? And what is a qualified lead?
2: Yeah. So the answer to that is a qualified lead varies depending on the company. And so we... We don't teach BANT. We teach what it means. What is qualification? Mm-hmm. And how does a company approach qualification? Mm-hmm. And qualification is usually built on a strict criteria of questions where, if a specific outcome presents itself, then there is qualify. So there is a qualifier. Mm-hmm. So, we're not necessarily teaching BANT. We're giving examples of how different companies qualify so they mm-hmm. can understand. And then we'll say, hey, you're an SDR at Oracle. How are you going to qualify a lead? Yeah. Okay. And then that's how we teach them qualification.
1: Got it. Okay. So that's what you're doing during the second week. Correct. That's sales training. And then third week, what do you do?
2: Yeah. So third week is interview prep, interview coaching, one-on-one. So before anyone goes into an interview, number one, we do a, a mock call. It's almost like a sales call. Yep. You're about to go try to sell Oracle. You're not going to sell that until we pretend I'm Oracle and you're going to try to sell me. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing. Yeah. And then it's transitioning from the the sales training portion to specifics of the job hunt. Yeah. So we'll say something like, okay, what is your ICP? And they'll be like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, what is an ICP ideal customer profile? Mm-hmm. Uh, i whatever you need me to elaborate. I will yeah. basically we're like, you know, where do you want to work? Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, well, if someone offered you an SDR job in Alaska, would you take it? Yeah. They say, no. Say, okay, so what should be one of your criterias? They're yep. like, oh, geography. Yep. So then it's actually like putting the pieces into place to yep. create a machine. Yep. Because by the time you leave week three, the machine needs to be running and yep. all we need to be doing is maintenance. Yep. So week three is finding real companies to reach out to, creating your actual emails that you're going to use. And mm-hmm. it's just getting ready to hit the ground running.
1: Yep. Speaking of which, uh, with emails and makes me think about cadences and things like that, you mentioned some of the sales tool- tools that you teach. So you. You teach Salesforce, you teach outreach, like why are all these things important and what tools do you teach here?
2: Yeah. So the reason these tools are important is because of the definition of the sales stack. So the sales stack is a set of tools that a company uses to drive efficiency. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting about the stage where we are in technology right now is that there is software that is built now for salespeople who sell software. Software for salespeople who sell software, <laughs> Right. So it's, it's all about, you know, understanding this basic concept. If you have to pick up a phone and dial a phone number every time you call, you're going to make 70 calls in a day. Mm-hmm. If I have a headset that calls for me, I'm going to make a hundred
1: mm-hmm. power but dialer.
2: Doesn't tell, doesn't yeah. take a genius to figure out who's more set up for success. Yeah. You can take that same concept for emailing.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: don't send one email at a time. Now, now you send a thousand emails at a time, but the software changes everyone's first name. Mm-hmm. So everyone thinks they're getting a custom email. Yep. So that's why the sales stack is so important. Yeah. It's because it helps someone go from fifty calls to a hundred without working twice as hard. It's like an yep. Iron Man suit almost. Yep. And then the tools we teach is it, was that the other part too? Yep. Yeah. So we'll teach Salesforce, which is the CRM customer relationship management tool of the sales stack. Yep. Then we'll teach Lead IQ, which is a way to generate emails. So mm-hmm. anyone can basically crack anyone's email and tech. Mm-hmm. After the email tool, we have another tool to actually send the emails. So what that does is it'll send you an email, and if you don't reply, it'll send you another email automatically in two days.
1: And, and why it, is follow-up important?
2: Yeah, follow-up's important for a couple of reasons. One, sometimes people are busy, mm-hmm. interested yet busy over email. Two, because sometimes people don't believe you in your first email. Mm-hmm. You say you're a closer in your email, but you don't prove it till your second email hits. Yep. So that's why the follow-up just needs to be there as part of the process. Yep.
0: And when it comes to finding a job... So let's say it's week three, the person is ready to go out and apply for jobs. What approaches do you recommend? So for our listeners, we recommend reaching out, writing cold emails to hiring managers. Some people might go on a website, some might go on like a platform like AngelList and apply from there. What have you seen work for your students the best?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And first, just as a clarifying point, we build an inbound outbound funnel for our students the same way a salesperson would. So Mm -hmm. our partners come in as inbound leads for our students. Mm-hmm. And then they also have to generate outbound leads. Got and there. then we just manage them to a total volume of interviews per week. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing.
0: And can you, just to make sure that all of our <laughs> yeah, listeners please, get yeah. it. Uh, so what is an inbound lead is for a place like Always Hired?
2: Yeah. So it's basically an inbound lead is a sales term for someone coming to you saying, I want to talk to you about purchasing this mm-hmm. product. So an inbound lead means a partner comes to us and they say, Hey Gabe, we want to pay you fees so we can access your top talent. Yeah. so like that lawyer that i talked uh maybe that was in the pre-call we had a lawyer come through our Mm -hmm. program literally practicing and out in san francisco he got a job before the program finished oh right like like obviously right this guy's brilliant they talk yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. he his resume was like never lost a litigation or like 100 (laughs) or something like that but uh what was i think i'm so the question
0: was um and you're answering it right now but basically um What's an inbound uh, pro, Oh yeah, yeah inbound yeah. lead. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So an inbound lead is a partner coming to you saying, Hey, I heard you're with always hired, took a look at your profile. You look pretty good. Let's schedule an interview. That's an inbound lead. Yeah. An outbound lead is you going to a VP of sales and saying, Hey, VP of sales, I see on the internet you're hiring. I just signed up for a boot camp. I'm paying to get better at sales. You want someone like me on your team, let's schedule an interview. So that's and, a um
0: when they're doing this, like when they're having this conversation, is it over like an email or are they are students calling the VP of sales? Are they showing up to the building? Yeah. Uh, what does that look like?
2: For the outbound, it's email.
0: Okay. Got it. Got do you it. think applying online ever works, especially when it comes to sales?
2: Well, UC Berkeley Extension recently released a poll that said 2% of online applications result in an interview. Oh, wow. Right now we do about Ten to fifteen percent conversion from application. Interview.
1: I like I like that data. That's very good data. <laughs> and and, re, and related towards like these inbound outbound things that you're talking about, and like making sure that you're maintaining that a certain type of volume. There's other things that you, other standards that you maintain. There's some that you have on the wall over sure. there, but even in your program, you know what are the cues, the disqualifiers yeah. in your program that you're very rigorous about.
2: Yeah. So one of the things we have that not everyone likes is the tardiness policy. So if anyone's one minute late to class, they're done with the program. It's because if they're a minute late to class, they might be a minute late to an interview. And if they're late to an interview, and that's what people think of always hired students, it makes it harder for all the other students to get a job. Mm -hmm. So someone's late by a minute and we tell them this pre-sale, but they're out. We also do homework assignments most nights, 75, 80% of the time. Someone Mm -hmm. doesn't submit a homework assignment. We come in in the morning to check everyone's homework, no homework, you're not going to cut it in sales. You're the kind of person that takes Fridays and Mondays off.
0: What is a homework assignment like in a bootcamp? Just curious. What would yeah, it look sure. like?
2: So it depends on the topic, but it could be send me a fake email. Mm-hmm. So send me an email. I'm hiring. How are you going to try to get me to schedule a schedule and meeting with you? That could be a homework assignment. A homework assignment could be look up 15 companies that match your ideal customer profile and try to find their emails and uh, their phone numbers on the internet to practice building a lead list. Or one of the things we'll do is we teach empathy in class, mm-hmm. which is like getting a stranger to open up. Crazy stories we hear, but we have people practice empathy in the real world. Yeah. And they'll come back and they'll be like, I talked to my Uber driver. His cat just died. We started yeah. crying. I'm like, how long was this conversation? They're like, oh, I have 45 seconds. Yeah. So it's just like practicing what we're teaching in class in the real world and then coming back with your experience.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And you mentioned that, you know, you had a lawyer come through this program. Yeah. Like what are the, what's the breakdown of the type of people that go through the, the always hired boot camp methodology.
2: Yeah, so it's uh f- roughly forty percent are fresh college grads. Roughly forty percent are salespeople from other industries, mm-hmm. and that's broken down into three groups. It's uh retail sales, so mm-hmm. people selling clothes at the mall. Mm-hmm. Direct sales, like mm-hmm. Comcast, Direct TV, door to door, mm-hmm. and it's also telecom. So mm-hmm. someone trying to sell you your home phone for Comcast which is a crazy sale to me on a side. Now who still has a home phone? (laughs) Um, Or like they're selling T-Mobile at the mall. Mm -hmm. So that's another 40%. Mm -hmm. And then 20% are the career switchers. So we've Mm -hmm. had lawyers, MDs, founders, Mm -hmm. crazy type of backgrounds.
1: Got it. Pilots.
0: And um, considering that your payment or the tuition model is that you don't charge the student until they actually get a job, how do you qualify people who apply to always Hired? What is that bar that the person needs to hit in order to get accepted into your school?
2: Yeah. So it's similar to the interview process that I had as a sales leader, which is five-step process. So you you apply, and then you do a tier one phone screen where we answer any questions you have, make sure you have some of the basic qualifications. You pass that call. You do a tier two call. That's with me. It's a 10-minute call. You pass that call, you're coming on site for an in-person. That's about an hour. And then you pass the in-person, we do reference checks. And if that checks out, then we'll make an offer.
0: Yeah. And which things do you look for in those candidates? Or what are some disqualifiers and what are some of the things that stand out to you as like positives?
2: Yeah. So really what it's about is what I've noticed, it doesn't matter what your experience is in sales. So anybody can learn sales? Yeah. Anyone can learn sales as long as they want to. So anyone can do sales, but sales isn't for anyone. Mm -hmm. And um, coachability, accountability, and work ethic are the three things. So if Mm -hmm. you have those three things today, you can do sales. So the interview process is all about identifying if you're coachable, Mm -hmm. identifying if you're accountable identifying if you're willing to work hard. And I'm happy to go into how we do that, but that's what the interview process is built around.
1: Got it, got it. No, That makes a lot of sense. And like for perspective, for people, like I know you've had like over hundred people come through the program. You've placed people in like, what, Facebook, Yelp, yeah, all these other yep. big organizations. But now you're doing something very unique. You've raised funding from K-Port, shout out to Carolina and Lily and everybody else hey. over there. And other people, university, features, which yep, that, like how build like Gavanite and other mm-hmm. organizations and then Fresco that like really knows a lot about growth, but you're creating this hybrid online, offline approach where now you are creating a inside sales or SDR training for startups that they don't have the capabilities or like, is that accurate? Like, how does that work?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we're building an online learning platform and, and marketplace really. And what I always thought was crazy about the way things were is that the place you go to get a job and the place you go to get training for a job are two separate doors. Mm-hmm. Not only are they two separate doors, but they're like cross town. Mm-hmm. It's like it's ridiculous, right? So the vision number one for the consumer is that the place you go to get a job and the place you go to get training for that job should be the same place. Mm-hmm. If I go to Indeed and I apply for a job and Indeed can't get me a job, why do they let me just leave? Yeah. You should be like, hey, you should get a little better and try again. Here's <sighs> some tips, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, I'm just like Indeed sucks and I go to LinkedIn, right? Or whatever it is. Yeah. So that's the that's the consumer side. It's the training, it's the the ability to apply to jobs. And on the partner side, someone can come in and hire through our platform. So you'll see a list of all of our talent and you can also engage with us for training. So mm-hmm. you can send your own talent to our office for training, or you can engage with our online models. Mm-hmm. And our version one of that is coming out in July. So shout out to Isaac, our CTO, who's been killing it since the fundraise. Yeah.
1: Shout out to Isaac. Very, very <laughs> cool. And like for people that are like thinking about this SDR role, you know, it's, it's typically 12 to 18 a month, And we talk about how it's preparation for an AE? Why do people want to be an AE? Like, What's the compensation structure for that? What's uncapped commissions? Talk about that.
0: And what's the career trajectory for someone entering the sales field?
2: Yeah. So there's three places people go from SDR. And then we'll go into what account executive does or is and makes SDR from closing on time to closing to contract. So you could go into an account executive. That's one rule. The other role is you can go straight into leadership. So you can go into SDR, you can go into SDR manager, you can go down that path and not even get into closing per se, but just go all in on leadership. Then you have a third path, which is going into another revenue business unit. So customer success, Mm -hmm. marketing, maybe sales operations, which is starting to get really popular. Mm -hmm. So those are the three promotion tracks out of SDR.
1: What's sales operations for people that don't know?
2: Yeah, so operations is essentially um, data analytics and performance management, mm-hmm. and that's essentially applying it to sales. So very so
1: all gonna, the data that's coming out of like the Salesforce and the CRM, so that the managers can you know mm-hmm. track and optimize and, and multitask better. That's perfect.
2: Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So um, yeah, for so let's say someone gets to an account executive role, those are six figure jobs easily. Mm-hmm. Typically, a base salary will be. 75,000 at the lowest, depending, you know, what product and stuff you're selling. But a good career account executive mm-hmm. is like 150, 250,
1: yeah. probably.
0: Yeah. And yeah. can you talk about the lifestyle of a salesperson? I know in the pre chat you mentioned that. Your day doesn't end at 5 p.m. when everyone else goes home. So, even though you might be making uh, six figures, uh, just to set the expectation for everyone who is listening, what does that like day to day look like for when you were doing that?
1: And explaining why it's so high because that uncapped commission, it could be way higher than that, depending on how much you work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, in sales, there's something called selling hours, and selling hours are the hours you can actually sell to someone. So, I remember this from consumer sales from the nonprofit you can't call someone past nine o'clock. That's like literally illegal if you're calling a home. Yeah. In business, who are you going to call past six o'clock, seven o'clock? Yeah. No
1: one's at the office. Especially if we're talking time zones, right?
2: Yeah, right. (laughs) It gets a whole nother thing crazy, right? So essentially nine to five is always always when you're selling. That means at six o'clock or seven o'clock, that's when you're doing your research for your sales call tomorrow. That means Sunday night, that's when you're sending your email. So Monday morning you have replies to get back to. So that's the type of lifestyle that is required. To be at the top, and I would say if someone doesn't want that lifestyle, they probably shouldn't do sales, unless they just never want to get promoted. Yeah, and they're just you know.
1: And the reason why they're doing that in the beginning too is like because they're building this book of business, and so these people have these book of businesses that they like have have been warming up for a long period of time that tends to generate a lot of these this money for them, and that base salary that you mentioned, a large portion of their incomes a lot of times tend to be. From the commission that they're making. So, for people that don't know, commission that they're making is when they hit quota, right? Right. And they get their on target earnings. Yep. And then, if they hit their on target earnings, they could still make way more than that, depending on how much they want to work. Is that accurate? Yeah.
2: So, usually the way it'll be is it'll be like a 50 50 split just to keep it simple. So, someone will say, Look, we're going to pay you 75 grand to show up to work. That's the deal. Mm -hmm. Every month you hit 20 appointments, we'll pay you five grand. Mm -hmm. So, if you hit quota, You'll automatically get sixty grand at the end of the year. Yep, and that's what on-target earning means. It means if you're a salesperson that's hitting quota, here's what your base and your commission will equal out.
1: Yep,
0: got it, got it. Yeah. So, uh, what's interesting about always hired is you pretty much take someone who might not have any sales experience at all, and you give them this three-week training, and they go on to find these jobs at startups. From your perspective, how is the like how is the industry changing in tech? Or outside of tech, and where do you see uh, the traditional education going? And uh, what is like your just your take on uh, if people should be even uh, thinking about startups right now? Yeah,
2: so you know, there's a big gap in the market, the skills gap, and I think what's becoming apparent is that corporations are kind of fed up with our educational infrastructure, and the consumers feeling that because they can't get a job. And what's also interesting is that the private markets move faster than the private technology markets move faster than the educational markets, which means change is going to happen on this side before it happens on that side. And that's what's creating the shift. The shift is companies complaining they can't hire anyone. And then the people are complaining they can't get a job. So what I think is going to happen from an educational standpoint, I still think degrees are going to be there, but I think there's going to be little tracks into specific roles or business units from there. So it's like instead of just having a major, you're going to have a major that's almost like vocational training into a specific role. Mm-hmm. And you'll have an employer on the other side of that saying, "Yeah, I want this as pipeline for my new hires." Mm-hmm. And I think that's where education is going right now.
0: So then why would I want to get a degree if there's a vocational track that I could just do and get into that business unit?
2: Yeah, I would say it depends on on your goals, you know, mm-hmm. if you know right now I would say do people really go to college to get a job?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like a lot of people f- believe in the American dream, quote unquote, right. and part of that dream is doing well in school, mm-hmm. going to college. There's a lot of emphasis in the society on actually getting a college degree, exactly. which then supposedly opens all the doors mm-hmm. that you want in life. Yeah. But it, at least in my experience, there's it's not necessarily a prerequisite and there's so many other ways to get really good jobs. Yep, and, and for, I'm an example because I learned how to code on my own, and then got a job <laughs> in software, which traditionally you think you need to have a computer science degree, right? But
1: but we I, also all went to college, and there's yeah. some people that college you know does work for, and depending mm-hmm. on who you are, they might need a more yeah. structured environment. So I would say, just based off of what I'm hearing, across the board is like it really depends yeah. on who you are, and it might even be like a hybrid of college and online, or a hybrid of college and a yeah. boot camp, or just nothing, and then you just go sell and win.
2: Yeah. It's more about, you know, it's, it's what, what we, it's how we teach students how to be successful. It's the same way to teach students how to sell, but you just need to find the truth. Mm. And what's the truth of what will make you happy? Mm. The better you are at that. Yeah.
1: So going back to this happiness thing, does it always hire to emphasize the importance of selling something that you're passionate about. Or do you just say like, you know, if you can sell, just sell whatever. It doesn't matter if you believe in it or not.
2: Yeah. So here's my opinion on that. I don't think you need to be passionate about what you sell to be good at it. Mm -hmm. I was never that passionate about selling data. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was just good at it.
0: You're being honest, and (laughs) we appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But I do think it's important. I mean, for the average student, I do think it's important to believe in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I do think at this point, there's a lot of different opportunities. Yeah. You know, I was just happy to have a job and be making money and feel like I was at the top of my class. You know, Mm -hmm. my priority was money. Mm-hmm. My priority was not selling the best product. My mm-hmm. priority was money. Yeah. Now someone can come into a program like this and understand the landscape, mm-hmm. and they're op- now they just have more options. Yeah. You know, I don't need to make the most money. I can make a little bit less, but work for like a, a company that the founders were from Google. Like mm-hmm. that sounds better than make. So I just feel like the opportunities are a little bit different now. Yeah. So I guess that's how I would answer. Yeah, it, it
1: depends on the field sometimes because like tech before was mostly like consumer, but now it's expanding to. education, healthcare, infrastructure, things Mm -hmm. like that. So sometimes you might want to go into a field that like was relevant to your neighborhood and you want to sell that because you know that's solving a problem there. Interesting. How do your parents feel about like what you're doing now?
2: Man, just finally, like six months ago, they gave me like a high five. (laughs) 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 A little bit of an exaggeration there, but I mean, they, they've still been telling me my whole life, you know, even up to a couple of years ago, you know, you sure you don't want to be a doctor? You sure you don't want to be a lawyer? Yeah, you sure about all these things? Yeah, I thought it would stop after the big commission checks came in. Yeah, but they they kind of knew too. They're like, it's not all about money.
1: Yeah, <laughs> my, my grandma tells me the same thing too. Yeah, and you know, you shared a little bit about the vision. Like, have you shared the vision for them? Like, what's the the always higher vision in the next five seven years?
2: Yeah, so definitely have shared the vision with them. I think uh, being a parent, they like roll their eyes, you know, they're more focused on like, am I going to die tomorrow Yeah, by like not looking both ways? That's
1: beautiful. That's love, right?
2: <laughs> that's man. love, right? Yeah. So, which is great. But the vision for Always Hired is uh, nationwide coverage very soon in person. Mm-hmm. We're going to have an online, offline blended model. So depending mm-hmm. on how much training you need, you can get a little bit of training mm-hmm. or you can get the full experience. Yeah. And uh, that's the vision. In Like five years, it's, we'll just be the one-stop shop for any sales job or any sales training.
0: I like it. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And I think your parents probably will listen to the podcast and uh, they'll definitely call you and be like, oh my God, I can't believe we just heard you. Um, (laughs) But yeah. So with that said, we're going to jump into the second part of the podcast, which is the lightning round. And this is where the three of us will ask you questions. And we're looking for strategies and resources that you've used to get to where you are today. So Arthur, you want to take it away? So this question takes it to the basics. So if you're dropped in a a new city, you didn't know anyone and you were starting from scratch and you only had a hundred dollars, what would you do and how would you use that a hundred dollars to get on your feet and get your first job?
2: Okay. So just to make sure I understand, I'm in a new city, I have a hundred bucks and I'm trying to get a new job.
0: Yeah. And let's assume with sales. And you have food and shelter.
2: What a cushy life. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing I would do is I would build a list Mm -hmm. of target accounts. So what that would mean is I'm going to either find out who are all the VPs of sales in San Francisco that have it on LinkedIn. I'm just going to figure out who are the people I want to even go after. Mm -hmm. So you build a list. Then you'd have to try to figure out a way to meet with them. What I would guess is that most people won't meet with you just if you ask them, if you're like, I mean, it's in a rude way, but if you're like this rookie and it's like your first time, right? Mm -hmm. So that $100 budget, I would use it to bribe the people. (laughs) And I would say, let me buy you a coffee Mm -hmm. and then save $10, 10 times to buy, to offer 10 people coffee. And that's probably the best way to use that budget. And then if you can do okay in some of those coffee meetings, one out of 10 should turn into a job. If you're a closer.
1: You're a closer, right? (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. So, you know, growing up in a psychologist's family, and we talked about question-based selling, that's actually a book, right? Yeah. By Thomas Fries. Thomas Fries. What are some of the things that you learned, like growing up in that environment from like a, psychological perspective that you apply like on a day-to-day basis in your sales role. Maybe it's tonality or like something empathetic to get people to open up.
2: Sure. And by the way, at this point, my parents are, are fairly supportive and they're like, wow, you're so good. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. Anyway, so I'd say the, first, the biggest thing I learned is that what people say, what people think and what people mean, three different things. Mm-hmm. Almost no one is telling you the truth when they first speak with you. Hey, how was your day? It was okay. Really? Like five minutes later, they're like crying because they just broke up with their spouse. But they told you their day was okay. So I'd say the biggest thing is what people say, think, and mean are never the same thing until you really, really dig deep on the same topic.
1: I like that a lot. I like
0: that a lot. That's That's a good answer. So this question is about giving advice. And um, imagine you're 18 years old and you're giving advice to your younger self. What would you say to your younger self, not only to get to where you are today, but like to get here the quickest way possible?
2: Yeah, this is is a great question. It's kind of ironic, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word, but I would say to slow down. And one of the things I've realized at this level is that sometimes the fastest way to your destination is a slower route. Mm. Because sometimes you run so fast, you get to a dead end and you got to double back and you got to go again.
0: So like climbing the wrong hill, then you have to go down the hill to find your top, the highest hill. Mm -hmm. You're just so
2: excited. You're sprinting. You don't even know where you're going. Yeah. So I would say it it would just be to slow down and really focus, focus on yourself and what you're doing and your goals and your happiness.
0: So being more strategic and calculated Mm -hmm. about where you want to go.
2: Yeah. And just being, being more patient too.
1: Yeah. You know, absolutely. Who are like some of your sales mentors? Like, how do you feel like, like the Grant Cardone's of the world or like, who are people that people should study if there's videos online, like from a, you know, sales mentor perspective?
2: Yeah. So the the sales mentors that, that I love, I don't know if they necessarily have videos online. And, and I think a lot of that's because a lot of that's nothing that there's wrong with it, but a lot of people are pumping out content to pump out content. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I would recommend like go to yeah. this YouTube channel. But uh, what I really like, I, I love Thomas Fries. Thomas mm-hmm. Fries is this author of question-based selling. has amazing books. hmm one of my mentors is Scott Lease. Scott Lease is like a four-time senior vice president of sales now. Oh wow! Just came out with a book called St- "Trust the Process." So that would be another name that I that I would share. Some people that I like just from like how brash they are. Mm-hmm. Gary V is like a is mm-hmm. like an outspoken person, yeah. and I just I just love how he just doesn't care. Yeah, he's real, and that's what new sales is about. It's about being real. Yeah. So those would be three names that mm-hmm. come mm-hmm. to mind. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I was just with Gary.
1: Yeah. Yeah. when it comes to process. Why is process important? A lot of people talk about activity. like, yeah. And why is activity important in sales?
2: Because when you focus on the outcome and not the process, you never get the outcome. Mm-hmm. And the process is what enables consistency and consistency is what enables greatness. Mm-hmm. And greatness is usually what we're looking for when we're trying to do something. Mm-hmm. So the process not only allows you to have repetition, which is consistency, but it also allows you to analyze your mistakes. Mm -hmm. And the quickest way to get up the mountain is by just improving yourself 1% every day. Mm. Actually, Scott Lees just put this on LinkedIn the other day. He was saying a 1% increase over the course of a year is a huge numerical difference. Mm -hmm. And a 1% decrease a day over the course of a year is a huge. So if you just make a small impact to yourself every single day, You'll be where you want to be. And the only way to do that is via
1: a process. Even half of a percent every day. Even a quarter point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So for the listeners who want to get in touch with you, are you on Twitter, social media, email? What's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So most of my handles are Gabe Moncayo. So at Gabe Moncayo.
0: And we'll include it in the show notes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So feel free to to shout me out. I'm usually pretty good about getting back to people and having mm-hmm. a conversation. And then oh,
0: yeah. always hired. How could they learn more about it? And what's the website?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the website is always hired.com. <laughs> and um, they can also check out our Yelp reviews. We have a pretty good online presence. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, check us have out. Have you
0: ever had a student literally show up to the campus and be like, I wouldn't accept me?
2: <laughs> people like try, they so we one of the things we teach people is that they have to close me in the interview. Yeah, Because that's just something you have to do in your sales interview. That's true. So sometimes people get really aggressive. And even though we tell them to close me in the interview, I never close in the interview. I always <laughs> you have You shouldn't to, have told us I that. Always, it's, it's okay. They, you know, it's all, right, all if about they, being if they truthful. listen all
1: the way, then they'll know. You know? Yeah. yeah and
2: they'll bring up podcasts anyways that I've yeah. done. And they'll like use that language against me later. Right? <laughs> so, which is fine. Good for them for doing research. Right? Yeah. It makes me want to work with them more. Yeah. But yeah, people are coming. are like, "Great, Gabe. So uh, this is great, and I want to start tomorrow. So uh, any reason you wouldn't accept me? Like, pretty good. <laughs> nice try.
0: <laughs> now you're just give, giving away all the secrets.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, right. yeah. we got a lot more. So, yeah. Love, it. Awesome. Love yeah. it.
0: Well, this was a great episode. Uh, we appreciate your time yeah, and. It's um, fun. Yeah, we'll uh, enter you again in a few years once you guys uh, expand nationally. Yeah,
2: yeah. Once we've uh, done some major things, we'll be yeah. excited to reconnect.
0: Awesome. All right, man. Thanks, Yeah, dude. thanks Peace. a lot. Thanks, thanks, everybody. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.